to the weekly review. This is Roman. It is Friday, May 5th, 2017. Welcome to the show. That was Star Amorasu with Space, a song off her new album, Rebecca, which is a great album. I cannot recommend it enough. And there's also some really great videos. And uh, she just released another video for, or a video for Space, the song we just heard. Uh, and there's some queer vampire loving, and it's a hot video, and it's great, and enjoy the song. So wanting to put that out there in the universe. Hope everyone's having a, a decent day. The world's falling apart. And I should say that I've been saying this pretty much for a while, though. We, a lot of us have known this for ugh, for a long time. So in some ways, it's, it's nothing new. It's not, oh, wow, there's suddenly people in positions of power messing things up for the rest of us. This has been a pattern that has been happening for a very long time. And now we're seeing it's even more overt. So yesterday was the <laughs> the House voted uh, it was like two seventeen to two thirteen I believe to 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 do away with uh, with Obamacare to repeal it and folks are really upset folks in my circles anyway I'm imagining if you're a human being on this planet I don't know how you could not be upset about it and granted we need to move towards everyone having complete health coverage so. I, one can say that, yes, the Affordable Care Act needs to move in a more inclusive direction, and at the same time, just totally abolishing it is not going to help anyone. So they had a list of all of the, the conditions, the pre-existing conditions, which are like human. So some of these would be types of cancer, HIV, AIDS, acne, herpes, um, anxiety, depression, lupus. There's a lot on there, and many folks... I know we were just kind of checking off the ones that we had because we all of us have at least a few of these things. I don't know how you, glaucoma. I don't know how you can be a human being on this planet and not have some of these things. Also, if you've had a C-section, there are other other. It's also extremely misogynist. This, uh, if you are a survivor of rape or sexual assault. Oh, trigger warning, by the way. We'll be talking about living under the patriarchy in a capitalist country. So, trigger warning to talk about it when. Uh, to just recognize that this is what we're dealing with. So, okay, so it's a bunch of rich white men fucking with the rest of us, as they have been doing for a long time, and people are really outraged and afraid, and rightfully so, and I'm very much wanting to validate people's anger and rage, and also encouraging people to organize and to recognize there are 217 people out there who voted yes to repeal this, and there's millions of people who will be affected by this. So we have the numbers. Even if 1% of us who are upset about this take action, we still have the numbers. So I want to encourage people to find the the representatives in your area. Uh, So California, has there's a number of the GOP here who voted yes. Daryl Issa is one, and he is down in San Diego. So kind of far from the Bay Area, but still in California. He represents parts of Orange County as well, and he voted yes. So find out who these people are. The lists are out there. It's not like they're hiding in the shadows or anything. Who these people are where they live and or where they work and let let them have it let them have it on twitter let them have it online if you see them in person if you know people who work for them we have the numbers so what's what's stopping us that's the question and there's a comedian who made a joke a while ago years ago back when there was the first or one of the the first ideas of the oh the 99 percent and this comedian and i forget their name they were saying um we have the numbers if there's 99 percent of us and one percent of them why don't we just team up and get rid of them and I ask that question now, too, with these folks in Congress who are passing bills that pretty much make them uh, they're murderers. They are saying that people who deserve health coverage should not get health coverage. They are asking for people to die. 
and we need to stand up to that. So I'm encouraging folks just to to find ways to, to organize. And there's a lot of organizations and grassroots people, grassroots organizations who are already out there doing some work. So also see if you can find folks who are already doing the work and see how you can help out. And that's for folks who are not already engaged in, in the struggle. Wanting to encourage that. Some people are saying, oh, we're just, just wait till 2018, we'll vote you out. And I say we should not wait until 2018 because if you're dead, you can't vote. So not everyone's going to be around in 2018, especially if they're moving forward with their fascist agenda as they are. So we cannot wait that long. And also, voting and relying on votes is kind of what got us here in the first place. Not everyone has access to voting. Not everyone does vote. And the, sometimes the options that we're given aren't that great. So I think while I get that, yeah, well, we're going to threaten them by voting them out of office. I think they can't. That's that's being nice to them. We don't. They don't deserve. They don't deserve us to be nice to them. Fuck them. They are literally trying to kill us. So we need to fight back any way we can. And I encourage folks, what, whatever, you know, I'm behind you. So I'm putting that out there in the universe to validate our anger and our rage and to find ways that we can fight back. Because again, there are more of us than there are of them. So that feels positive in some ways. <laughs> huh. So moving to a, more, a lot of things, ugh, there's a lot of things happening in a lot of, uh, so May Day happened and that was great. And <laughs> there were protests around the, around, the, around the world, around the country and around the world. In Paris, they were really fucking shit up. Ah, uh, I recommend folks take, take a look at images from around the world, images and videos. And it's, it's a, a worldwide, it's a worldwide event and we need, I think, more of it. And it's also, we need a worldwide revolution, really, the people everywhere to rise up together against oppressive forces. So encouraging that as well. Putting my, putting my word out there about that. Just putting the word out. Doing what I can here. We do what we can. Um, on a recent note, there's a lot happening. And of course, we never get to everything because there's two hours to talk about what's happened in the last week. And a lot of things have happened. Ugh. So here in the Mission District, here's a local story. So they want to put in a... I, my, the words are falling short. It's a center, a navigation center, that's it, on 26th and South Van Ness. And most folks in the neighborhood are in favor of this. There's a, so, oh, I had a paper with some notes on it that I do not have in front of me. So I'm going to go from memory. So there are over 4,000 homeless folks in San Francisco right now. Uh, many of them are children. And I believe they were saying at least 300 of those folks live in District 9, which is the Mission District, which is where we are broadcasting from. So they want to put in a navigation center. So Hillary Ronan, who has taken David Compost's seat on the Board of Supervisors, has decided let's we need to have some action on this. We can't continue to have what we have, which is a lack of care for folks on the street. And also there's gentrification and people have been pushed out over the decades. And we need to really take care of people. And ignoring it isn't going to happen. Criminalizing homelessness, sure as shit, makes things worse. So let's talk about solutions. So of course, putting in a navigation center isn't going to be the be all and end all of this. However, it's a step in the right direction. And a lot of folks came out and were in support of it. And this was a second meeting or third meeting that they've had. And they had like a town hall so you could go up and speak, which was awesome. And you know, I like to speak. I get nervous, but I speak. Anyway, so they had it at John O'Connell High School. And they had, so Hillary Ronan was there as well as this guy, Jeff Kaczynski, I think is his name. And he is the this guy, he is, he's like the development, he's like the SAR development of homelessness, whatever, in the city, and he was also a white guy in a suit. That was my opinion of him. They also had some folks from Leonard, who are the folks who are actually building the, the infrastructure. They had some SFPD officers there. I won't have to mention how I feel about SFPD. And then they had a lot of us from the neighborhood who are, you know, live or work in the neighborhood who are there, who wanted to voice support 
or not support for the project. And so they, they spoke for a little bit and then they opened it up to questions, which I really appreciate and also just want to say that it's great that we live in a place where folks can voice their concerns. They may or may not, I mean, hopefully they're, they're heard. They may or may not be taken into consideration. However, to be in a place where something's happening in your neighborhood, to be able to go up and voice your opinion, I think is awesome. So uh, a lot of folks expressed um, distrust of the SFPD as they have been murdering people. Someone was murdered on Market and Fifth the other day. And also there were uh, family members and friends of Luis Gongora, who was a homeless man who was murdered by the SFPD last year. And it took within 30 seconds of the police arriving, uh, this, this man was murdered. So there were folks who were there who were also speaking out in disgust. And also, just since the SFPD are going to be involved with this, people really wanting to hold the officers accountable and saying, how is this going to be different from how you normally criminalize and police people on the street? Most folks were definitely in favor of this navigation center going forward. There were folks who were not. These were the NIMBYs, the people who were like, I'm going to complain about it and not do a damn thing. And these were like, I feel like caricatures um, from like a movie where it's like, do you really exist? So the thing was that they had folks get up in line and you get in line and you wait your 30 seconds to speak. And then they'd have maybe four people or so ask their questions and then the folks up front would, would answer. I asked, I went up, I was sitting pretty close to the, the line, so I was able to go up quickly and my question was first of all to everyone who was up there if any of them had ever been homeless and I did not hear a yes so there's that and I think folks who are maybe working on a project dealing with a certain population it's probably best if you have some input from folks who have actually experienced it that's just my opinion I didn't say that but I feel like the question I asked kind of set the tone with this idea of one really needs to have input from the folks who are most likely affected by this. Secondly, this Jeff Kaziski guy, he was saying that um, they're going to go around asking folks to come into the, the navigation center. And they said there are going to be 120 beds for up to 250 people or 260 people. The math didn't quite add up to me. And even though they have 300 people, so even if every single person was going to say, yes, I want to go to the navigation center, there still would not be enough beds for everyone. So I'm putting that out there. He said that they're going to go around and ask people to, to go to the navigation center. And if they said no, they would go back again the second time and then a the third time, and then they would ask them to leave. And I said, this is really like, you can't do that. That's not helpful. People know where they're the safest. And also, yes, it's great that this navigation center, I didn't say this, but the idea is that, yes, it's great this navigation center is a possibility. They're going to be offering services and food and shelter. At the same time, not everyone's going to feel safe in there. And you don't want to punish someone because they don't feel safe in a certain place. If someone doesn't specifically does not want to go in there, they probably have a really valid reason. Maybe there's someone in there who has attacked them. Maybe there's someone in there who they don't feel safe around. Maybe they feel safe where they are. There's a lot of reasons where I can see where someone might not necessarily take this up. So I don't think people should be punished for that. So I kind of let that be known. And so that felt good to like just get that point of view out there. And then this Jeff Kaziski guy, he said, uh, he's like, oh, well, we're not going to threaten them. No, 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 no. And he was kind of like going back on what he had said. And anyway, my point is I don't trust him. So a lot of folks that went up and many folks in the neighborhood were in support of this navigation center. And there are people there, they're also be offering services for folks there. So I think that's great. The folks I was talking about before who were seem to be the caricatures, they're like, not in my backyard. They kind of went up and said a lot of really anti-houseless people uh, rhetoric. This like, like kind of very much like just do away with people who are houseless instead of actually working with people or seeing them as human beings or finding ways to help. And one comment, which I thought was just, it was funny, like, because it was just like, really? Um, they... Uh, they're just they're concerned about substance abuse and use, and it wasn't so much of like, oh, can we get folks help or like find ways to provide for people. It was more like they're gonna be doing they're gonna be doing alcohol and doing pot and doing coke. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I I mean I've I have my experience doing drugs in my life as a lot of humans have, 
Uh, Coke is one of the more, cocaine is one of the more expensive drugs to do. And I don't think that's really a, a drug that a lot of folks who are on the streets are doing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be mistaken. Maybe this person who doesn't see homeless people as people knows more about their use, their drug use than I do. But last I checked, they weren't doing lines of cocaine. And a friend of mine was like, maybe she's thinking about her son. Because that was the kind of, it's kind of like, kind of like very kind of, they seemed very wealthy, kind of like, ooh, gross, homeless people, instead of actually, let's see them as people and let's see how to help. They also, and I get that, like, I'm just going to complain about it because I have a fucking show and I can complain about people. That's fine. Anyway, so they were, um, the idea was that you all wait in line for your turn to talk. This one w- woman got in line and when it was her turn to talk, she invited all of her friends up. And so then they would kind of cut in front of everyone else. And people were like, what are you doing? Like, everyone just has their, their turn to, to wait in line. What are you doing? And that's, this behavior just seems so representative of a lot of the f- disgustingness <laughs> and, like, entitlement that we see here in the Bay Area and, and elsewhere. Folks who have more money assume that they have more privilege and more entitlement and put themselves ahead of other people who wait just as long. So just putting that out there. Anyway, again... Glad this meeting was happening, and I'm glad that the Navigation Center is going forward, and hopefully it will indeed help some folks. And I appreciate people, and I'm, of course, skeptical and critical of people in positions of power, and at the same time, I am grateful when folks do the right thing and look to take action instead of benefiting from something or sweeping it under the rug or criminalizing people further, because we need to look at everything compassionately, and the society is determined by how you treat the folks with who are the most marginalized. So... We treat them like human beings. That's a step in the right direction. Cool. That wasn't a totally angry rant. I'm glad that happened. There also was a talk at UC Berkeley yesterday uh, about why it's important to keep fascists off campus, and it was live streamed. So if you go to refusefascism.org, I believe they should have the video for that. There also was a march in New York because 45 went back there, and everyone hates them. <laughs> so folks were in the streets. They were like, we don't like you, and I'm sure a lot of really clever chants. I guess we we don't like you as a chant that I might use if I were to if he were to come to town. So people are getting out there still and really much appreciating all of that. So folks from the the right wing have been doxing folks, the alt right they've been doxing activists, Antifa activists. Now the thing is, if you're against Antifa, that that therefore you're a fucking fascist, and it's just frustrating and disturbing that there are folks out there who are doing that. So I know some folks who have been uh, victims of this. So just wanting to add, add support to all that. And also the idea that they're really going after people. So, and again, the, a lot of them are using it under the guise of free speech. They are advocating for violence against marginalized populations who are already under attack on a daily basis, like women, people of color, queer folks, immigrants. People are already under capitalism, having a difficult time just fucking making it. We don't need white supremacist little fucking brats coming out being like trying to make things worse for people. We're releasing information and threatening people. Gross. Grow the fuck up. Be compassionate. Be a fucking human being. Gross. So anyway, some folks have fought back. The Ch- Kyle Chapman, who's known as Base Stick Man, who has come out to a lot of the, the rallies at MLK Civic Center Park, uh, he was doxxed. And or at least people found out where he lived and he's in Daly City. So then some folks went and they were like, all right, if you're going to do this to us, we're going to do that to you. And they posted photos all around of him near his house saying that this guy's a white supremacist. So watch out for him. And if that's who you are, then that's who you are. (sighs) So that happened. Also, there's more I was going to get to. Where? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
oh. So talk about using the law in a not a good way. And of course, we all know that a lot of times the law is not used in a good way for people. First of all, folks who went to block the inauguration, the block paths of the inauguration, which I fucking fully support, folks were arrested. They arrested over 200 people. And some folks smashed windows. And again, I don't see that as violence. I see violence is some, you know, cops harassing people and pushing people around. That to me is more disgusting than someone smashing a bank window or setting fire to a limo. Though That's an object, not a fucking human being. So anyway, so some folks did that and they decided to round people up and arrest people. So even if you weren't necessarily doing those actions, first of all, you could still be arrested and charged with that. And there are 75 people who are being charged with that. No, 75. No, no, no. The number 75 is because people are being threatened with 75 years in prison. So if you fucking set fire to a fucking car, that somehow they can give you 75 years in prison. However, Brock Turner, a fucking racist, rapist, it's racist too, he was given three months in jail for raping someone. Three months. Yet someone who might be, or not even, who might not even have smashed the window, but even if you did smash a window, that is somehow 75 years in prison. What the fuck is that? What kind of justice is that? That's just how fucking broken this all is. There's also uh, one of the women from Code Pink who laughed at Jeff Sessions, who is a fucking asshole, and I cannot say anything kind about him at all, and I am probably censoring myself right now. Um, she went in and she laughed at him when he was being sworn in because he has been known to defend the KKK. He's a fucking awful, 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 awful. I can go on and on and on. He should not be fucking creating laws, passing laws, when he is so reprehensible and is so against the people. So this person laughed at him, and now she's being um, either sentenced, or not sentenced, but has been convicted, and they're threatening her with one year in jail for laughing at him, for laughing at this fucking horrible human being. So that's something else that's happening. They're threatening people, and they're also threatening, of course, this idea that you can't protest. So they're like leveling a lot of threats against us. In Alabama, I believe, they have decided that gay people, uh, certain organizations, adoption agencies um, will make it so that like they can't make it legal to discriminate against gay couples so gay couples can't adopt. And it's so fucking backwards to say that children don't deserve loving families. It's so, like, do they not realize that they are the enemies here? They are making things worse for so many people and so many fucking children. Ah! Super gross. So that's kind of what's happening. That's a wrap-up without me... Um, uh, without me, like, totally reading off what's happening. This is just the top of my head. So we have some guests. Uh, we have a guest coming in a little bit later, Johnny, who is a, a trans activist from Russia. So we're very much looking forward to, to speaking with Johnny. And then Alex Yuen, who is, um, I am just typing right now. And, and Alex will be one of the marshals for the Pride Parade this year. And the theme is going to be resistance. There Cool. There we go. So, yes. Oh, so Alex will be calling in. Yes. Okay, cool. I am multitasking. So, yes, the number to call in is 415-550-0511. And so, yeah, Alex will be calling in and Johnny will be coming in. So there we go. And the theme today is queer resistance. That's the theme every day. How do we survive in a world that doesn't want us to exist, that doesn't believe we exist, that wants us dead, that passes laws against us, families kick people out, there's a lot that goes against folks who are queer. And then also looking at it, I've always been, I've got guilty pleasures like anyone else. And my guilty pleasure is like Hollywood gossip. Less so now. Well, I can't say that's not true. Okay. So Hollywood gossip. How many people are still fucking closeted? How many people who are privileged who are still closeted? And that's the thing. There are people out there living their lives, being open about, you know, who they are. Yet there are folks, and I get that you're in the public eye. So maybe there's 
more risk at the same time there's more visibility and some people are like oh my career my career and at the same time if more people came out or people came out earlier um that would be really helpful and beneficial and i remember when ellen came out and i was in high school and that was like a big deal it's a big deal to, for someone just to say oh here i am i exist because when you identify like that and you see someone else it gives you that validation so um yeah so i'm just putting that out there and I'm communicating with folks right now. Great. So we'll have folks calling in and coming in and talking about how to survive in this world. <laughs> there we go. It's about 12.26. I put on some music first for a little bit of a break, and then we will get moving on with the show. One of my favorite bands is the Afghan Wigs. Some people tease me. Not really some people, but I like them a lot. They're one of my favorite bands. I've seen them a number of times, and they have a new album that's coming out. I think tomorrow the kind folks at Sub Pop were happy, happy enough, kind enough to give me a release, uh, an early release copy of their of their album. So really wanting just to to share that with folks. So here's one of their songs off it. I did not. I played a few last week, and here's some more. Transcended purpose and time. 
and welcome back. That was the Afghan Wigs. And that song was called The Spell. Cool. So today happens to be May 5th. So I'm going to read a few things. Uh, white people have a history of messing things up a lot. So that's not an opinion, it's a fact. So here's alternative ways to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, if you happen to be doing that. Okay, so don't you dare put on that sombrero. Try these. One, educate yourself. Learn about the history of Cinco de Mayo and how it became a part of U.S. popular culture. Acknowledge the stereotypes you have internalized and discover why they are problematic. Two, support authentic Mexican businesses. No, Chipotle doesn't count. I don't even know. I guess there's some people who think that. Okay. Whew. Try a family-owned restaurant run by actual Mexican people. They have better food anyway, we promise. Maybe even enjoy some authentic Mexican music. Three, celebrate responsibly. Uh, no sarapes, no fake mustache. I, the fact, I mean, I'm assuming the folks who listen to the show already know this. I, I just want to present this to put it out there. Okay. Uh, avoid every party store. No cinco de drinko. Ew, gross. Oh, people do that? Ugh. All right. No disrespectful use of Spanish. No homogenizing Latinx communities. Oh, and hold your friends accountable. That is a good one. Hold your friends accountable when they do any of uh, any or all of these. Uh, four, this is, oops, and this is an important one. Uh, one second here. And um, this is uh, donate to organizations working for immigrant rights, which is a big one. Uh, Mi Gente is a great organization, first of all. Uh, if you celebrate this holiday while disrespecting the people whom it belongs to, shame on you. And any day is a good day to start recognizing the equality of all people, no matter what uh, no matter where they've come from. Okay, so that's just a pretty basic thing that when you put out there in the universe because today is May 5th. Cool, great. Just a reminder, reminder, reminder. All right, sweet. So Alex Ewan will be calling in in a couple moments. Very much looking forward to talking to Alex. Alex will be one of the marshals for this year's Pride Parade. And the theme is going to be resistance. I think that's awesome. Cool. Okay. There's another article here. The Cuban government has launched a two-week assembly against sexual discrimination and bullying. And this article comes from uh, telesurtv.net. We'll read a little bit of this, and then Alex will be calling in. Uh, the 10th edition of the Cuban Assembly Against Homophobia and Transphobia event began Wednesday. Cuba debate reported. And now we have a call. Hello. Hi, this is this is Alex Ewan. Hey, Alex Ewan, thanks for calling in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks. Thank you for calling in, and I'm really grateful to hear from you, and very much looking forward to seeing what Pride can be like this year with the theme of resistance. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. So the the air is all yours. Uh, this show is completely uncensored, so we can we can talk a little bit about the history of Pride, and we can also talk about what's in the works for this year, and okay. or anything else that that you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, so I want to say hello to your listeners, and uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to discuss this important time in our lives and just one moment in time where we can take out to have all of us be in one place and and give a message of unity. Uh, this year's theme is called Celebration of Diversity, mm. and we want to make sure that that is being heard loud and clear. Yes. Um, I was uh, selected as the community one of the community grand marshals this year, which is a very big honor for me awesome. and my family. 
And with that comes a an act and what I want to do and what I've been uh, supported to do and we have our communities behind us is to have the contingent that I'm going to be leading be the resistance contingent. Yes, yes. Yes. Awesome. And hopefully uh, what that means is that it's not just a contingent where my, whatever vehicle we choose that's going to represent my message that I'll be riding on with hopes that others with mobility issues will be riding with, with me. Um, whatever that, we're, we're behind that vehicle because of safety issues will be a contingent of voices being heard loud and clear about our human rights that are being minimized and and becoming invisible day to day. Yes, yes. With this new administration. And we have an opportunity to have more than 3 million people if you were to stream it over and over again and for people to show it to their friends and send it over social media, there's an upwards of 3 million people that can watch it at that time and that day and and at least a million people that are going to be actively live throughout this whole process and why not use this platform to to together have the biggest voice of showing that we cannot stand down while this is happening in our lives absolutely and being a queer black them in this society I really need to not be intimidated and to be strong and have my voice heard because no one can take care of me but me, but we can all take care of each other together. Yes, absolutely. That seems to be a recurring theme. It's just yes. the, the community really looks out for itself. Absolutely. Um, and so with hopes that we can send this clear message to the world, being one of the biggest um, queer events in the world, we can send this message that says we have unity in our community and we're not standing down to the bigotry and hatred that is coming our way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go oh, no, 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 no. The, 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 the air is yours. So yeah, I'm, I'm here to, to listen and, and to learn as well. So yeah. yeah was, oh, go ahead. I, I was just <laughs> taken back by, couple of the by many of the executive orders that have happened but it, but you know one in particular around religion and that can be interpreted anyway and, and even though we're not saying that it's hitting our will hit the LGBTQ QAAI um, communities going forward that's bull crap because it will yes yes um, because it can be in, it's subject to interpretation mm-hmm. and that can interpretation can be anywhere and it will always end up in court and we will always lose because it's part of our now of our administration language. Yes. And, yeah. and then the health care, part of the health care bill that passed yesterday was just so heart wrenching because yeah. if it does not uh, get the scrutiny of the Senate and if they do not do the right thing, we have many, and I'm sure you know too. Uh, Roman, that we have many of our friends that are in limbo right now mm-hmm. who are about to transition into a different life and really looking forward to having the service 
of their health provider to yes. help them get through the changes and uh, in their life and the choices in their life. I mean, yes. And uh, and this will stop it. Yeah. And I can't imagine how all of these white men are being hailed that this is the best thing in the world and and high fiving each other. Ugh. And I don't know if you saw any of the news online or on TV uh, yesterday after this bill passed that they're all celebrating in the lawn of the White House and jumping up and down for the misery of others. They are so cruel and it's it, so it's, disgusting. It's a very cruel act and it and it's and the bill is going to be devastating and the way it's set up right now it's a disaster for many. Yes. Um and I I really hope that folks who are supporting this come to their senses and see that it's not about you. It's about how one can make millions and millions of dollars on the backs of the American yes. people. Yep. You know, it's like we have not taken our time to look into other structures, Canada, Australia, who have a beautiful healthcare system, to take take our time to really understand and and how they do it. Mm-hmm. And we're bigger countries than they, understandably, but we have different money streams and and value yeah. that they would ever have. Yes, yeah. So, you know, when we look at this, that millions of hundreds of dollars, or hundreds of millions of dollars, sorry, are, are uh, just going to go into drug and insurance companies yeah. that are going to continue to rip us off, <laughs> there is, how can you not see that as you're with a common eye? We don't need anything special but to use our own brains to say, this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and in, and and if we keep this in its place, I don't know. If, and, and, oh, and also, what I was getting at is that many people who voted for it didn't even read it. Yeah, yeah, did Ugh. not read it, but went with their emotions around. Well, how can I benefit from this? If I say no or nay, how does that work? If I say yes, what does that do for me? And it's all about their own freaking egos and it's enough already yeah yeah and it's time for people to rise up absolutely absolutely because you know what we need to do now is to rally all of us all the millions of americans that are against this horribly cruel bill Mm -hmm. and rise us up bernie sanders said something very said that yesterday and i i'm gonna have to paraphrase him but he said that he said you know that we need to rally, that this is a cruel bill, that it should not have passed, it should not pass the Senate. We've got to, you know, make sure that tons of thousands, of pe- millions of people are not thrown off a health insurance plan because they don't have the right uh, health. You know, they, they have a pre-assisting care, mm-hmm. so therefore they can't get health care. And if they do, it's going to cost them exuberant amount of money. Yes. They're not in, they're not in the right class uh so now they have to pay more money because there's a trust issue whether you can pay your bills or not. They're, you know, so so what? And and because they're not making it mandatory, then many poor people will say, well, if I'm going to be paying all this money into a monthly fee, a monthly rate, and I'm not getting the services that I need, then I need to put that money away for when I really do need it. And right now I yeah. need it for something else. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. There's so like. I don't, Oh, go ahead. Oh, there. I just and, and 
I, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Uh, go ahead, you speak now. Oh, no, no, everything you're saying I, I, I agree with. And it seems like it's like the opposite of harm reduction. It's it's more like they are actually actively causing harm as opposed to some of the models we see, like for St. James Infirmary, for instance, are actual clinics that actually help people and work with people. Yeah. Uh, this is like the exact opposite of that, where it's like how can they be the most obscenely, like just without any mercy and without any dignity and without any kindness. And it's like all greed based. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, and, and what they do very well is instill fear mm-hmm. in people. Yes. And, and, and that's how this administration has gotten elected is all fear based. Yes. You yes. Know? That's so if true. We don't do, if we don't do this, this is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that type of rhetoric and that's all they hear and it becomes a common mantra, then of course, that's when you're going to start to believe that you are in such an unsafe space that you have to do something that may even be against your own internal morals, mm-hmm. but you have to do it because you feel that you or your family or your generations behind you will be in such jeopardy if I do not make this move. Yes, yes. That is such bullshit. Ugh. Ugh. It's, ugh. It's like the fear-mongering. I mean, I think that's so mm-hmm. much of like this country is based on, the fear-mongering and the, also the othering and this idea of blaming others instead of, and it's like the folks at the top who are blaming and convincing other people to blame each other instead of them actually taking responsibility. Yeah, I mean, and when you have somebody that's in the top of administration like this, that is totally void of any morals, mm-hmm. then what other leadership do the, do the same to the like to the people like them? Or what other leadership do they need? You know, I I uh, posted on my page today that was called "Nigger Again." Oh, again, Fuck. this is this is not this is becoming commonplace. Fuck commonplace and um and it comes from hate right mm-hmm. i had someone at work the other day use the word nigger at me saying your culture doesn't respect your culture because you because you call each other's niggers and she said it so proudly that you know she, she was allowed to say that word finally and so she's going to say it right to me in what she felt was a okay thing to do and when I try to explain to her that when a culture reappropriates their a a word that has been used as a derogatory term, then why is that not okay? And then she goes into, well, you don't hear me calling my my people kikes, and you don't hear Latinas saying spick. And I was like, wow. All those words rolled off your tongue so easily. Ugh. When? How long have you been waiting to say that? Ugh. Right, because now it feels like because she voted for Trump, she proudly Ugh. told me no. that she voted for Trump, Ugh. and um, and so she was. She now she is proudly being able to say what she's been holding back, and probably the first time in her career that she's ever said those words at work. Ugh. But yet she feels that she could do that. And so, with all of that said, the climate is one where it is ready to burst 
like a keg being ready to be lit. Yes. Yeah. And and this time the revolution will be televised because yeah. it will be one of an explosion to an X degree, nth degree that people will not expect. Yes. And it will not be pretty. Yeah. And I fear for that time because it feels like it's bubbling up mm-hmm. to where there's no room for healthy and debatable dialogue. Yes, yes. Right? There's no room for that anymore. Yes. It feels like you're coming to that to that point, you're putting your toes against that line, not to have your voices heard to each other, but to have your anger, which will be followed by a fist, will be followed by something more destructive, and this will happen over and over and over again, no matter what scale it is, if we do not do something to counteract this. Absolutely. I had another guy at work who felt it was his place to mansplain to me that he thought um, that a resistance of any type or protest is stupid. What? Mm-hmm. Ah! Where, where does that get you? He Ugh. said. Where does that get you? Ugh. And uh, and and it was and his his voice came in while I was sit, standing there talking with all women of color about you know our rights as not only women but as humans mm-hmm. and how we have to have our voices heard and the only way to do that is to take it to the streets, take it to your airways like you're doing, take it to any anywhere where there's visibility or uh, the earshot of that message. Yes. And, and he felt it upon himself to get out of his chair and come over to our circle in front of the, the lunch area and to participate. <laughs> and the first thing, he walks over and doesn't say, excuse me, nothing. He says, well... I think protesting is stupid. Uh. And where does it get you? <laughs> wow. And, and when I said to him that we really didn't ask for your mansplaining <laughs> and you're not part of this conversation, so if that's your point and your view, you made it, so can you kindly let us continue? Mm-hmm. And he went back to his desk, wow. which was where he should have stayed. Yeah. So when you have this, because usually being at work, Unless you're in a one-on-one conversation that is wanted and that you want to do and they're your friends or whatever, there would never be any situation where someone felt that they can come and write, come in and interrupt three women of color and start telling us what we should be told. Yeah. So in that way, it said to me, bow down because your master has just arrived. Ugh. Ugh. So why why is this happening? It all goes back up to the administration. And why are we resisting? Because our voices are not being heard anywhere through those halls of that White House or that Senate or anywhere else. And it's going to roll up to the Supreme Court where we still won't be heard. Yes. Yeah. Because our numbers are not there. And it's all come down to a congeniality contest because even the people representing us, I know our, 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 I'm a Democrat, and I know my Democrat brothers and sisters are trying to stand strong and hear my voice and represent me in the House and in the Senate. But come on. We, yeah. gotta, we, as people, need to get out there and support people who are going to be running that represent a different voice. Yes. Whether it's 
whether it's uh, Democratic or independent or green or whatever it is, a different voice. So we can get some diversity up in those motherfuckers. Yes. Because right now we are getting embarking, and I'll bring it full circle, we're embarking a celebration of diversity and really feel that we're in it by ourselves in a sense. Yes, yeah. So we, we need our country to stand up and say, yeah, maybe maybe you did vote for this administration, but let's now talk about human rights mm-hmm. and how you can support this that your, your choices of people that you put in place to talk more on human rights than anything else that we've had to talk and share and agree on than anything in our lives so far. Yes. Human rights, because no matter whether it was Bush or Bush, or Obama, human rights was the first thing that they thought about. They weren't signing executive orders just because they could and just because they wanted to take away from people. They gave some thought to it. Yes. And yes, we didn't always agree to what they were signing and what they were putting in place because maybe putting my ego in it, it didn't, it didn't address me. Well, now, let's take all the egos out of things and let's look at human interests, human rights, and let's go that direction. Because until we do that, we will be coming toe-to-toe on lines, and we will be throwing fists, and we will be throwing down, because that's all that we have left. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that was very clear with what's been happening in Berkeley, and folks just don't quite realize that if they're not there. Or even if they are there, they just seem, they seem to not quite acknowledge exactly how, yeah. how, what things have, the point that things have gotten to. And it's really self-defense at this point. Absolutely. You're, you're so right, and self-defense is where the position that we're in right now. I was, I was at Berkeley. I was on the front lines of Berkeley and standing there and watching and, and took footage of, of what the two, two battles that were happening and not, not you know, of, of the vocal battles at first and then it turned into fistfights. Um, and the opposition who was supporting this administration came for a fight. Yes, they did. They were, fists were wrapped, they had helmets on, they had knives underneath their helmet, they had um, uh, sharp items, but yet, when we came into the ground, so they separated us by this tiny little yeah. fence, yep. I think, this soft cloth fence, which was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's what, it's what you put around your garden when you want, to, want the deer to stay out. Yes. You, know, you, don't, yes. you don't want to hurt them, you want something soft, but... You also want to give them a barrier. Well, what the hell was that? Yeah. That was no barrier. That was that a joke. Set up, I mean, I don't know what the Berkeley um, PD was thinking, but that just set up mm-hmm. an, an, an opposition territorial yes. um, thing. That, 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 just, that just, wow. I mean, I was so shocked when I walked in. Yeah. What I was getting at is that on the left-hand side, you know, we wa- was was people from our area. So, but on the right hand side was folks from the Trump administration. The police officers that were checking their things oh. were waving were waving them through. Yep. So they yeah. went in, they went in with battle gear. Yes. Even just wearing their bicycle helmets. Why the hell do you think each one of them were wearing a bicycle helmet? Yeah. It turns into a weapon. Yeah. And what's underneath that helmet? Because you didn't ask him to take it off. Right. There are there were weapons and spray guns and everything. So on the left hand side, when you walked in, was just you know was these police officers taking stuff or asking yep. you to go back to your car? Couldn't go in with a fucking water bottle. 
And you couldn't, yes, you had a water bottle. They took, told you to take it back to your car. If you don't want to go back to your car, they kept it in, kept it with them. Yep. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and they, and they were so close to patting you down. Yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. And, but well, that's why they did nothing. So of course, when the clashes happened, there was blood drawn right away because they used these as weapons. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just, it was mind-boggling how that was handled. And I, I witnessed this young man. He was standing there speaking his truth. One of the administration folks came over and just punched him, punched the shit out of him, Ugh. and broke his tooth right in front of me. Fuck. I saw the guy who did it. He just came up and punched him. Mm. I saw the guy who did it. I walked behind him. I got him on film, everything, and went to a police officer, Berkeley police officer, or first, first officer I went to was a Oakland police officer, and he said, well, we're only here in support. You have to let the Berkeley police officers know. Uh-huh. Went, to the Ber- went to the Berkeley police officer, who was probably about 50 yards from the guy who hit this other guy. And he goes, well, you know what? If I go in there and I pull him out, it's going to start a riot. Uh-huh. <laughs> He says, so I can't do that. And our, and we were told to stand down. Wow. Uh, and that's, I, got, I said, can I have your card? So he gave me his card. He goes, if you have some footage of it or whatever, send it to me. I was like, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to take your card. Because I have to be aware of who you are. Yeah. Because this was, this was uncalled for. You know, even just to, I mean, if you don't want to pull them out, I mean, because everybody was fighting. So who can you... Who can you blame? I right. mean, both sides were fighting. It was unnecessary, but it happened. And and who who do you start to arrest first? But yeah. this was a blatant assault. Yes, yes. Blatant. And it didn't happen in the in the course of someone throwing down. It was blatant. Mm-hmm. And you did nothing about it. So when they do come back, and they will come back, they've already told us they're coming back in May something. I can't remember the date now, but they yelled it out. Mm-hmm. They are coming back. So mm-hmm. when they come back, it's going to be even more of a battle. Yes. So when do we stop yeah. and start saying, all right, enough already? Yeah. Where is that demarcation that says, do not cross, but let's have a dialogue across it? Yes. Yeah. And when we feel safe on both sides, then we can start being in each other's safe areas. Yeah. But outside of that, why even come? So what... So, you know, and, and so I'm torn because it's like, I need to go and support. But yes. if we didn't go, then who do they have to talk to our battle? Right, but right. And if we don't go, then right. what does that look like? So we are in this freaking catch-22. Yes. That is just outrageous. Absolutely. I mean, but anyway, that, I mean, you can hear a little bit of my frustration, Roman. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, but, that, that, you know, you, you also are the first person I was talking to today. I woke up super sick and... uh and haven't been really able to talk any, to anyone but my wife, who, when I'm sick, she knows that um, that I may not be the best of of the best of friends, you know. Oh. I get, I can get crabby. I appreciate but, uh, everything that you've been in saying, and I agree with it. And I think it's also really crucial that people really understand what's happening because there are folks, especially in in Berkeley, and with these with these clashes, who don't understand how serious it is, and people who yeah. think if we just ignore it, it's going to go away, when clearly that, that's not the case. Absolutely. So, you know, and that's why we want to have a peaceful resistance. Um, the 
we're hoping that we follow suit with many other prides that are happening in the United States where our voices will be heard. We will attempt to keep it peaceful so the media doesn't always target the negative stuff of what's trying to be, go down. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it gets dismissed really quickly by those who do not want to come to the table and have a fair understanding and exchange to come to an agreement. Um, so we're So we're hoping that this uh, contingent, the resistant contingent at Pride really uh, allows us to make a, a good statement that represents many, many voices and we will have a full rainbow, if you will, of of, uh, of diverse groups and, and, you know, so we're just not, we're just not being seen as one voice is being heard. It's multiple voices. Yes. at one time that are being heard. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much for calling in and for everything that you've shared and for being out there in the world. I feel the world is such a better place with you in it. So thank you for everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying. Absolutely. So I, I just want to give a quick shout out to some folks who I really appreciate in my life and that is my uh, parents who have gone before me because they have given me, instilled in me this, strength to fight and to take care of myself being in this skin color. I also want to give some thanks to, and their names are Stiveline and Bill. I also want to give some thanks to my wife, Ellen Morrison, who's been my pillar of strength throughout all of this and, uh, and is an incredible white ally that has done her homework and her work Mm -hmm. in order to speak her truth. Yes. Um, and I appreciate you as my community and, and others as my community. So I just want to say thank you for the honor of being your Grand Marshal and for allowing me to uh, to do the work that I need to do for all our voices to be heard. Oh, right on. Oh, thank you, Alex. Oh. Well, well, thank you again so much for for calling in, and uh, we'll we'll check in again soon. Okay, maybe we can chat again closer to Pride. Absolutely. And I can tell you, give you the progress of what's been going down. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, cool. cool. Hopefully, right. I'll see you at the leadership meeting. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much to Alex for calling in and for sharing all of that. Really important conversations that, that need to be had and perspectives that need to be heard. So thank you again so much for calling in. We'll be taking a bit of a music break, and we'll be back in a little bit.
Welcome back to the weekly review. I am joined by Johnny Gibladza. Thank you so much for coming in, Johnny. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. This is uh, a very new experience for me being on a podcast in the US. Oh, sure. Do you want to just get closer? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Cool. Um, thanks so much. Um, so I first um, heard about you because you were speaking at Omni Commons. And uh, as a as a queer person here in the states, there's we're seeing a lot from the current administration of like anti LGBTQ rhetoric, and then of course what we've heard about what Putin has done, and then also what's happening in Chechnya now with 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 queer folks. Um, just that'd be a really important conversation to have to see what's happening elsewhere, and and compared to what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. So so what what brought you over here? Uh, surprisingly, vacation. Okay. Uh, I'm uh, just staying with a with a friend who I met in Russia when she was an exchange student at a university in in Saint Petersburg. 
So I decided to come here for vacation. Yeah, which is kind of weird because normally I travel for activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't have a proper vacation for like forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep it lazy and relaxed. Yeah. But still, I get engaged in, of course, I get engaged in uh, activist activities. Yes. Um, which is which is cool. It's like um, it's a cool experience to to be with the community here and hear what's going on and how people cope with the problems. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, uh, I get well, or maybe not surprise, surprisingly, yeah, I get many question about questions about um, what life in Russia is for LGBTQI people, um, and um, people don't seem to know much, which is a bit complicated because. Um, issues in Russia are very systematic yes and it's very difficult to explain uh, just one part of the problems without explaining the others like I see. it's uh, I'm not sure if it makes sense to speak about for example homophobia and transphobia uh, and hate crimes in Russia without explaining the issues of the pressure on uh, the civil society uh, and human rights groups and generally the uh, anti-human rights culture, which mm-hmm. is now um, an ideology almost officially used by the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm piecing that together in my mind. It seems, uh, yeah, so, okay, okay. So everything is connected, certainly. Yeah, as, as anywhere. Yes. Uh, the economics, the social issues, yeah. the human rights crisis. And you feel it's very much top-down, so it's the messages that you get from the state telling folks how to act then impacts one behavior? Of the, one of the interesting questions I got here when I was talking at OmniCommons uh, and in several discussions afterwards was, um, is homophobic, transphobic, and sexist violence in Russia something that comes from the culture, mm-hmm. from the people, or does it is it directed by the state? Yes. And I would say it's the second. I would say it's the state, because uh, in 2012, uh, we had a federal law introduced which bans so-called uh, gay propaganda, propaganda yeah. on traditional sexual relations among minors. Yeah. Uh, which could mean absolutely anything. Yes. This law was not meant to be applied directly, and it it is almost never applied directly. It's not used as a law, but it was very much used by the authorities and the media, and there is no independ- almost no independent media in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, and by homophobic, uh, religious, uh, right-wing groups. Yes. Uh, it was used to like create this atmosphere, a mm-hmm. uh, very, very homophobic atmosphere, uh, to, I think it's one of the state policies, you know, as they normally do, to find an enemy from the within, Yes. Uh, to distract the public's attention from what's really doing, going on, from yes. the war in Ukraine, from the war in Syria, Yes. Uh, and previously this was used against LGBT people uh, and Uh, human rights activists. Now it's used against um, anything which seems to be not 
Russian, not traditionalist, yeah. against any um, Western uh, liberal discourse. Mm -hmm. mm, and the surprising thing is that before this law was publicly discussed and came into force, uh, there was, uh, at least in the capital cities, there was a very uh, developed and free uh, queer culture. Yeah. Uh, but everyone was frightened of this law, of yeah. the application of this law, because it's very unclear how this law was going to be used. So yes. everyone went underground. Yes. Uh, and actually now only few human rights groups exist. But uh, on the other hand, this law brought activists together. Right, and, right. Yeah, now a very strong community has emerged and is yes. still emerging. That sounds similar to I mean what's happening here with the current administration being so fascistic in their in the in the laws that they're putting out and the rhetoric that they're putting out that the resistance has seemed to grow because they are just kind of coming down on so many different people. Mm -hmm. So it's of course it's not the same situation, but it seems, sounds similar in that when people in power kind of come down, then folks need to resist and find ways to resist and come together to combat yeah. what folks in power are doing. Yeah. So normally, uh, LGBT issues are very politicized in yeah. Russia now, and uh, if it, it really depends like uh, on the wording, on the words you use. So if you say for example on the street uh, if, if you come out on the street with a rainbow flag which is now known by the homophobic majority uh you would most probably be looked at weirdly or even beaten up Fuck. uh or uh if you say i'm gay or i'm lgbt mm -hmm. uh, or i am transgender mm -hmm. this is like not a russian word so mm. people uh react to this as something brought from the outside something dangerous something induced by the west i see uh but at the same time if you don't use all these words and say you know like i'm a boy who likes boys mm -hmm. or like i was born as a girl, I born, born and raised as a girl, but I feel more like I'm a boy and I'm transitioning to look more masculine. Yeah. Like without using the terms, yes, it would be much more easier. Interesting. And people, yeah, would react adequately to that. But it really depends on the region. Russia is huge. Russia is very different. Uh, basically, I'm very privileged to live in the capital cities. I was born in Moscow, and now mm -hmm. I live in St. Petersburg. Yeah. And the situation is very different in in um, in regions, uh, especially uh, among people who do not have access to the internet, and that's uh, that's not like ninety eight percent. Yeah, Russia is very rural, uh, and the difference between how people people live in the cities and people how people live in the village is huge uh so the only actually the only way to get independent news and information is the internet because yes. all all the tv and uh, media are controlled by the state so yeah there's a must be like yeah lack of information and lack of education as well yeah unfortunately hmm. That's what we're trying to work on. Uh, I work with one of Russia's few uh, LGBTQI groups mm -hmm. uh, because of another oppressive law, which is called the Law on Foreign Agents, also introduced in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, we 
cannot now have a legal status of an NGO. Huh. Uh, so we work as an initiative group. I see. Um, but we're quite a big local group. We have 10 programs, both working on advocacy with the courts, with the state, with international institutions, mm -hmm. and working for and with the community. Uh, like I, co I coordinate two programs. The first is the monitoring of discrimination program. Mm -hmm. uh, we collect data on, mm -hmm. on homophobic and transphobic violence and discrimination to use it in our advocacy efforts. Mm -hmm. And the other group, I, the other program I coordinate is Transmission. It's a, a, a program to support the trans community. Yes, yes, that's awesome. As a as a trans person, I'm always just curious as to what's happening, and I'm grateful to meet other trans folks out there in the world. Yeah, it's it's it's. Oh, yeah, I feel like falling short from for words sometimes, and just feeling. Uh, just a lot of gratitude for folks who, who put themselves out there. And I'm also just curious as to, you know, what is trans, like even in different parts of this country, what is it like to be trans? And then of course, seeing what it's like in other countries too, where it's, there's homophobia in this country and transphobia, of course, and then sometimes they intersect, sometimes they don't. And also just hearing what it's like in other countries as well. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, like uh, intersecting uh, types of discrimination mm -hmm. are, are all uh, are an issue everywhere. Probably it's a bit different the way they intersect. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course the picture is somewhat similar. Um, on being trans in Russia, uh, lately in like the last couple of years, a uh, really cool trans activist community has emerged. Mm -hmm. Uh, with different groups focusing, focusing on different types of activism and different identities, uh, really working hard. Uh, but generally, uh, to put it short, it's difficult. Uh, being yeah. trans and well, being trans everywhere, I think is it's uh, it's a challenge. Uh, but the issue in Russia is first of all the very unfortunately the culture is very patriarchic, mm. very sexist, mm -hmm. and uh, it is, this culture is uh, very accurately used by the current ruling regime uh, as part of the, this uh, nationalist, um, traditionalist policy yes. and ideology uh, so like the church plays a huge role in this mm -hmm. uh, and that's like breaking gender rules and norms and stereotypes is mm -hmm. already a huge challenge in Russia yes uh, then there's the issue of um, that the legal gender reassignment procedure is almost not regulated by the law hmm. like we do not have a well, we have one law, uh, uh, which was like, it's from 1990, and the law says that um, you can change your passport in, in these, these, these cases, yes. uh, among them uh, upon providing a document um, 
saying that you have had a, a document issued by a medical organization stating that you have undergone full and irreversible sex reassignment. <sighs> oh, and the funny thing is that for 17 years up to date, uh, this law was not clarified. Yeah. So nobody knows how this uh, document should look. Yeah. Nobody knows what is full and irreversible yeah, sex Yeah, what does that even mean? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so everything really depends on the region, again, on the, on the judge you yeah. work with, on the civil registry office you work with. Mm -hmm. For example, in St. Petersburg, where I live, which is like the most Western-oriented, the most liberal city, mm -hmm. um, we had a very good practice earlier. Uh, it was one of the very few cities where you, can, you could change your uh, documents through administrative procedure just by mm. going to a civil registry office uh, okay. showing them the diagnosis showing them uh, maybe something from an endocrinologist saying yeah. that you're undergoing HRT and that's it but about a year and a half ago uh, this policy changed and now civil registry offices just deny any kind of application to change your document mm. uh meaning the gender marker the gender marker and you have to go to court mm. and this is part of what we and uh other human rights groups are working on now is to create uh a good uh, court practice in the region like educating the judges uh which is really difficult mm -hmm. like advocacy with uh the state is the most dif difficult part of any human rights activism in Russia. Yeah. Yeah, then there's the medical issue, of course, like nothing, yes. nothing, uh, which may go into uh, gender reassignment, uh, transition, medical transition, nothing is covered by any kind of insurance. Uh. Uh, there are, first of all, you need to be diagnosed, and there are like three more or less liberal com diagnostic commissions in the whole of Russia. Fuck. Like one in Moscow, one in St. Wow. Petersburg, and one in Novosibirsk in Siberia. Wow. Well, there are others, but they are not so well known. Yeah, And yeah. like, they're all sort of underground. Sure, And not sure. public. Yeah. All of them are not very public. Yeah. Mm, so the information spreads from a trans person to yeah, a trans person. Yeah, so word of mouth. Yeah. It's so similar here in a way where, I mean, some things are a little bit more well known, but I feel like a lot of what I've found out over the past nine years has been through, I meet someone who knows someone, and then they tell me the information. Yeah, uh, last year also, the, uh, so, yeah, so with, um, like, according to international human rights norms, the legal gender assignment procedure should be accessible, quick, and transparent. Mm -hmm. And what we have in Russia is not accessible, not quick, and not transparent. Yes. And um, people have to travel like for, for thousands of miles just to see a psychiatrist Jeez. who may also deny them yes. uh, the diagnosis. Uh, and uh, you have to pay for that, uh, for the psychiatric observation. Um, and unfortunately, most psychiatrists, except like the one or two I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. are also very, have this very medicalized, very stigmatizing approach mm -hmm. where in order to get diagnosed, you have to like prove all these gender stereotypes oh, and so gross. prove that you plan to go to the very end, that you hate your body. So, oh. And at the same oh. time, hide the fact uh, if, hide the fact that you have if you have any other mental health issues of mm. course
Yeah, and once you get the paper with the diagnosis, uh, it's very, it's also not very easy to find hormones uh, mm. because, uh, once again, it's changed for the worse a couple of years ago. Previously, you could buy um, uh, hormonal uh, medication used for transmasculine transition yeah. uh, in mostly any. Uh, drugstore yeah uh but about two years ago huh. the policies changed they introduced several new laws and now it's almost impossible to find it like it was not aimed at trans people of right, course it right. was aimed at combating what is i don't remember the english term but like um doping in sports yes yes yeah um yeah, so now uh, the regulations are so hard on on the pharmacies that they just decide not to sell wow. them. Yeah, so most people are forced to either pay a lot of money to endocrinologists and uh, find a very good uh, private clinic uh, mm -hmm. and, and a good doctor to work with them, or in, in many cases people just go to the black market. Mm -hmm. And that's more or less the only accessible option. I see. Oh, man. So <laughs> it's just so heartbreaking and so unfortunate. So even so cis men, for instance, with low testosterone, for instance, they would still face similar barriers to getting their... I think it depends. Yeah. I think it depends on what diagnosis, uh, what diagnosis you have. Yeah, I see. Like... Um, um, originally, Russia has a good social medical system. Yeah, I was curious about uh, that. Yes, and uh, like obligatory insurance for everyone. Huh. But at the same time, the level of uh, treatment you can get in the state clinic for free mm -hmm. is normally very bad. I see. Very low. Um, and most people are also forced to like go to private clinics. I see. But if you have like an official diagnosis which is not politicized like gender dysphoria, yeah, uh, you'll probably get free medication from the state. I see. This is um, somewhat a difficult conflict inside the trans activist community because some trans activists. Um, really prefer to use this hardly medicalized language yeah. and uh, formulate trans issues as a medical problem and trans people as sick people. Mm. Uh, to make this advocacy policy closer to advocacy used with people with disabilities. Yeah, because yes. Russia is like pretending to be uh, a social state, a, a social oriented state. Yeah, uh, and it would probably to be easier to get the state's attention through advocating using the medical language rather than yes. the human rights language, which is yes. totally a taboo. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here in the States, there's still, like, gender identity disorder is the diagnosis. So yeah. it still is, like, this pure... And the whole health insurance, I'm sure you've heard a lot about health insurance or lack thereof here in the States, which is, a, I mean, capitalism is a fucking mess. Yeah. And so things are accessible in some ways, although it's what one has to do in order to get it and how one has to fill out the paperwork, for instance. It's still... There are sometimes hoops that one has to jump through. 
uh, as well here. And also, again, it depends on where you live and what's accessible and what you hear about, and also if doctors are going to be receptive to what you're going through, whether or not they're going to be trans-friendly or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, an amazing group I work with in St. Petersburg, like another trans group, uh, focuses on working with medical professionals, mm-hmm. and they actually created an educational course for, mm. for endocrinologists. That's great. Yes, they, of course, for safety reasons, they like don't call their names, yes, and yes. Uh, it's not public. Yes. But yeah, people, they actually... Uh, teach people how to work with trans people and this is amazing like trans people teach doctors yes the best ways to work with them yes and this is the only uh well i've, I've never heard about any other projects like this in mm-hmm. russia or the post-soviet space mm-hmm. mm. yeah so work is being done and uh i think things can slowly change for the better yes because despite the aggressive state policy uh or I don't know, the world is generally created not by the state, but by people, by caring professionals, mm-hmm. by uh, by people working with the community, and this is really changing yes. for the better. Yes. So that brings, uh, there's another, it's not the best segue, but I am, have to just mention, curious about Chechnya and what's happening there. I know that's, that's a lot, and curious as to... I think there's a lot of ways that folks here want to help and are unsure how. And I know people have put together fundraisers and and different things like that. And still it feels so overwhelming. And again, I don't want to, uh, you know, as comfortable as as we are with talking about it, I don't want to force the conversation and at the same time to recognize that it's happening and what can be done to aid folks who are going through this right now. Well, uh, what is happening in Chechnya is, well, I think we can already call it a genocide. Yeah. Uh, we've been having reports even before it went on the media. We have like a couple of independent media outlets in Russia, uh, which posted these huge reports about with interviews of gay men who escaped Chechnya. Uh, so in 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 the region in in Chechnya they are being uh, caught uh, held in prisons tortured some were killed and this is very mass action so like there are t- dozens of survivors and. Um, Specifically, our group does not work with Chechnya because we're a local. We work mm-hmm. only in St. Petersburg. But there is um, this huge group called Russian LGBT Network. Mm-hmm. It's a network of many small regional uh, groups mm-hmm. uh, who help these people, yes. uh, who evacuate them from the region and yeah. bring them to bigger cities, mm-hmm. uh, like try to provide safety and yes. housing for them. Uh, and I think the best way to help is to find the LGBT Network's okay. website and uh, offer them financial or other kind of support. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, I've seen people who work with these men who are now evacuated to St. Petersburg. Like, yeah. They literally don't sleep for weeks and really burnt out. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, most of the work they do is volunteer work. Yes. So, yeah, I think any kind of support would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you for that information. It's there's of course that the information that we hear, and I think there's also America in general has a big denial problem where. I mean, the history of this country is based on genocide, first of all, of the Native peoples and people who were here beforehand, uh, never quite dealt with slavery or the racism in this country. And because of, like, the white supremacy that's been here since, and the colonization that's been here for hundreds of years, we now have this administration that's enacting a lot of these really repressive behaviors. And some folks have been aware of this for, you know, their entire lives, our entire lives. And then there's also folks who never thought things were an issue and are now realizing this now that they see who the president is and who the administration, not just the president, who the entire administration is. Like, the president's just this asshole businessman entitled bullshit, etc., etc. It's the folks surrounding him who are really, like, Christian supremacists, misogynists, homophobes, anti-Semites, racists, etc., who are all appointed. And my point, that's my, that's how a lot of us view this country. And I think there's a lack of folks willing to recognize the fascistic tendencies of those who are in power. And so when that happens here, there's also that sense of, oh, this is happening elsewhere. So when folks hear about Chechnya, there's a sense, I felt it for myself too, I didn't want to believe that this was happening. And just as I don't want to believe that certain things are happening here, it's really steeped in this culture, this idea to not look what has happened, what is happening in the eye. And it's crucial to talk about these things that are happening so we can stop them from happening here and abroad. Yeah. It's interesting for me uh, to talk to communities here in the States and see how um, racism is reflected on and really studied and understood because in Russia we have a huge problem with racism, but it's so not reflected on it's uh not studied at all and it is so okay to be racist um of course russia has a different history but uh still and and slavery we had was not built on racism it was built more on classism (laughs) uh but um still uh russia has is so culturally diverse uh, and has so many native uh, ethn- ethnicities, mm-hmm. uh, such a huge number of ethnicities in one big country. And um, that's actually one of the problems with Chechnya because um, like Chechnya is a regional, it's a Republican North Caucasus very, with a very difficult history with two Chechen wars in, in the 90s when Chechnya tried to break away from Russia and there was a lot of insurgency and, and the war was, uh, well, yeah, it, it was very traumatic for the whole generation. Um, so now there's this really, really autocratic regime in Chechnya, very religious, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, uh, the... The man in power in Chechnya is is Putin's friend and mm. puppet. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, so and they use these very uh, intense religious Islam Islam propaganda uh, with a mixture of traditional values uh, and traditions. Um, mm, 
of the Caucasian region, the region mm -hmm. of the Caucasus, not North, North Caucasus region, uh, to frighten the people, and mm -hmm. just uh, they also use uh, conflicts between different ethnicities living in the region. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this is of course not only a homophobic problem. Yeah, uh, like uh, people, there are forced disappearances, disappearances. Uh, and and uh, police violence, mm -hmm. uh, like ongoing for more than ten years in the region. Yes. Um, yeah, but the problem is that uh, really uh, the there is this specific situation in the region region uh, in in Chechnya deriving from its special culture and history, recent history, and earlier history. Uh, Mm, and you really have to understand the the how people live there to work with them properly and understand their real situation and their safety uh, issues uh, and when um, often when uh, I'm not sure how to say it correctly without being uh, too critical, but when Western-oriented liberal human rights activists come trying to work with uh, regions with such specific culture and history, mm -hmm. uh, it may become really dangerous for the people they are trying to help. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously any advocacy efforts do not make sense in Chechnya so the best way to help is just to take as many people out of oh, the region as I possible see. yeah yeah huh. um, what was i saying yeah i can go on talking forever oh. so just oh it's, stop it's all me. no it's it's very informative and it's also really crucial to to not to i mean also necessarily don't necessarily believe in borders and that's kind of where that we're like taught here in this country we're taught america number one which is a a lot of us don't necessarily subscribe to this idea that somehow this patch of land is somehow superior. People here are somehow superior to it's this really nationalistic, very problematic mentality. So it's really crucial. I feel that folks here have an understanding of what's happening in other countries as opposed to what we hear from the media or the government. But that is also what we're being taught now in Russia. Mm -hmm. Russia's, um, ideology if we can say so it's not an official ideology but it's like a discourse created by state-run media and generally for the last 10 or 12 years it's a very dangerous mixture of nationalism and imperialism mm. sounds familiar yeah so um yeah and the russian orthodox christianity's supremacy of course uh and combined with um with with russian nationalism but uh it's also it's very interesting how they use identities because mm -hmm. you know russia has such a violent and complicated history and uh there is like people uh the state really uses this idea of russian identity yes which is uh really difficult to understand what what is meant what is understood by russian identity yes uh it's it's not an ethnic identity mm -hmm. it's 
uh, not a religious identity, but yes. religion plays a big part in it. Um, I th it's more like a political identity uh, as the state tries to build it up now. It's mm -hmm. more like a political identity opposed to what is brought from the West. Yes. Uh, yeah, but history, uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, history is so, uh, also... We do not have a culture of reflecting our history. Mm -hmm. uh, so, unfortunately, it is very easy to manipulate people. Yes. Uh, I don't want to say that like Russian people are stupid and easy to manipulate, of course not. But when you don't have access to the internet, yeah. uh, when... Oh, like for example, I'm a bit uh, scared to go back now because I'll be arriving in St. Petersburg on May 9th, which is the victory day, uh, the day of victory of the Soviet people in uh, the Second World War, mm -hmm. uh, which is Russia's main holiday. Huh. Uh, and it's it's so weird. It's supposed to be like a day of uh, memory yeah. and grief. Yes. Uh, and it was like that earlier, but now it's a huge holiday used for propaganda mm. with uh, tanks going through all major cities yeah. and this militarized, uh, patriotic... Uh, craziness going on, uh, like with little kids being dressed up in military uniform. Yeah, so yeah, yeah the the uh, this ideology or something, mm -hmm. this discourse which the state is building is also very militarized. Yes, that sounds yeah very similar to what's and it, here. And it's all built on Soviet uh, nostalgia, mm. like mostly. Well, if like if still the Victory Day is our main holiday. Like, come on, it's been 70 years. And Russia is now fighting in several terrible wars. Yes. Uh, and people just don't know about it. Yes. I mean, people do not speak about Syria or Ukraine. When they do, it's uh, always, um, it's mostly always in support of the state uh, position. That sounds similar to the states right here. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, two empires. Yeah. Two empires. If only they could find love. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's a lot of it's like the leaders, the folks who are the quote unquote leaders, because I don't think they're really actually leading, but the folks who are in positions of power who abuse the people is the problem. One of the problems I would I would say I would suggest. If the people had control, then that would be different. Yeah. I have a question about you said so. It used to be more somber. That May 9th used to be more of like a somber holiday. And I'm curious as to when that shift happened, that it became more militarized. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it was something like 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we always had huge military parades on May 9th uh, in, in Moscow with mm -hmm. like... Planes, military planes, making me wake up in the morning. Yeah, I remember that since I was a kid. Um, this tradition of military holidays is something um, which continued from the Soviet period, mm -hmm. and it's something which uh, 
builds together the uh, like it's like a continuation of a Soviet identity, which is really important for most Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 90s, uh, when there was an attempt of democratic transition, mm-hmm. uh, r- most Russians were uh, in a very bad situation. Like there was famine in the country, there was mm-hmm. no food, mm-hmm. there was an extreme economic crisis. And unfortunately, this is what most people remember from the democratic period of Russia. So their association with uh, democracy, uh, democratic institutions, liberal policies, plurality of free elections are associated with um, crime, with uh, hunger, Mm -hmm. with uh, breaking of the world around you. Yeah. So, uh, like the ruling regime we have now, really tried to like reinforce this, not officially, but through the media, through all these war parades and so mm-hmm. on, uh, like rebuilt this Soviet identity, which is mm. common for most Russians. Mm. It's not. Uh, it's not national. Yeah. It's like the identity of the children of those who won the war. I see. Um, at the same time, like of course, I already mentioned that there is a huge level of racism, anti-Semitism. Uh, so it's it yeah. all, all kind of coexists. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. As I've two of my grandparents were born in Russia and left due to like their families oh. left due to like anti-Semitism. So and this was like the beginning of the of the 1900s. So. It, I do feel like this kind of connection, even though I've never been, my parents have been to Russia, I, I have not, I just do feel like a connection and then also a fear about if I were to go, especially due to the transphobia and homophobia and anti-Semitism, um, I'm, I'm, I myself am not religious and still recognize it's a part of my identity. So, and I would imagine perhaps anti-American sentiment as well. And I feel like I'm a spirit. I don't necessarily like to assign myself to any labels and at the same time recognize that based on my identity, I could be viewed in a certain way. It's interesting that actually when uh, Russians see an actual person from the U.S., they don't hate them. Hmm. Like they're uh, like... There's also this contradiction. We grew up, like my generation grew up in the 90s when we had things and movies and everything coming from the States and mm-hmm. it was like a dream come true for many children of that age yeah. and it's still there so like the attitude towards the US is on the one hand very hateful but this hate is induced by the government mm. and on a personal level yeah. it's like uh, like people associate with it with the, the moment when the first McDonald's was open in Russia and wow, we've got American food and these are like really sincere feelings of happiness brought from childhood. So yeah, people are actually interested in in what's going on in the States and yeah, uh, people don't know much Mm -hmm. about what's really going on in the States. Yeah. Um, And I think if uh, like you or anyone else just comes to Russia, as long as you uh, like, um, it's totally safe to be in Russia while you look and act normative. Hmm. So, can you define what normative would be? Uh, 
Yes, don't smile at people on the streets. Oh, but I like to. Uh, that is normally accepted as a challenge or aggression. Wow. Uh, yeah, Russians don't smile on the streets. Oh my they gosh. They don't say hello to people they don't know. Oh. Yeah, unfortunately, the communicative culture is very introverted and aggressive. Oh, wow. Like, uh, if you pass as masculine you should always be dressed in gray or black <laughs> gray or black oh today i actually happen to be wearing gray and black so i guess i'm okay <laughs> well, yeah at least like the yeah this is the place where gender stereotypes come in um but i couldn't i have a, that rainbow hoodie over there i couldn't that if i were to wear that that's right over there on the floor um if i were to wear that that would not be go over well i assume well once again it depends like if you're in a capital city and you pass as a tourist it would be totally okay if I you're see. in a young student environment mm -hmm. uh, especially with other activists uh, it would be cool uh but like uh it might be dangerous in other environments um yeah russia is like unfortunately generally the culture in russia is uh and this is also what the state now uses it's very sexist mm. and it's um i would say it's misogynistic is yeah. that the right word yeah. uh, uh in terms of like not only women but femininity in general oh. uh so like uh the people who face most violence are trans women mm -hmm. and feminine looking men yeah uh because um it's also part of the culture because oh russia has this uh, huge terrible culture of prison camps mm. where uh sexual abuse including same-sex sexual abuse was used to build those internal hierarchies and it's so spread in the culture it's like those stereotypes of feminine as weak something in the very lower uh, level of the hierarchy mm -hmm. it's built so deep in the culture I mean it's built in my mind and I uh, yeah I always have to reflect on it like to n not to read feminine people as weak I really have mm. to reflect on it every time because it's mm. really built into us I see yeah there's definitely a lot of misogyny in the US as well so I'd imagine, so then there's not many people in, in Putin's camp who are women, then? Any, like, female leaders, or...? No, no. Like, there are uh, female deputies in the State Duma, that's our parliament, mm -hmm. but uh, they're not active, really. Mm -hmm. If they are, they are also, like, really traditionalist and so on. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Uh, they, they play a role. Mm -hmm. they, there are no independent female figures Wow, in wow. I guess that makes all of, I mean, a lot of us, of course, have heard of Pussy Riot and are so just in awe of them and appreciative of them and, you know, the what they've done to get the get the word out. Yeah, uh, surprisingly, so. Pussy Riot is um, what people outside Russia seem to know the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're not, like, very popular in Russia now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like one episode, but it became so popular with the West mm -hmm. that people know about Pussy Riot. Like, in Russia, we don't, don't know much about them. I mm -hmm. mean, we do know, but they're very controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe due to the fact that, like, they are not read as part of the actual community. I see. 
uh at least the leader of the group is mm-hmm. like more middle class and uh mm. has access to travel and immigration and like they speak up for the communities but they uh i don't remember them doing uh grassroots activism ever interesting yeah um but anyway like it doesn't mean that what they're doing is bad it's cool oh, yeah like yeah of course yeah <laughs> Anyone to put their bodies on the line, I think, is really, is brave. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, well, are there any, like, uh, artists right now in, in Russia that you'd like to, to promote or talk about, musicians or, or other folks whose work that we could, maybe, like, we could play on the show or in the future? Wow. Like... Um, I'm not sure. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, there there is uh, a more or less underground artist, queer culture but it it's it used to be very active in the in the 90s and <laughs> early 2000 but it became so underground that even i don't know much about it wow. we have yeah we have our annual queer festival in st petersburg mm-hmm. where we always try to invite someone but normally we invite someone from outside the country because mm. it's so difficult to um like there are artists performers um singers who are obviously queer yeah but in public they act homophobic they mm. don't recognize that the fact that they have something to do with the community mm. yeah Oof. like for example there's this very uh famous person Svetlana Surganova singer who was who's quite popular now and was popular in the 90s and she has this uh uh lesbian image oh okay uh, and uh, she she was like very popular among the community, and a bunch of other similar figures, but they are like all closeted, mm. or at least at least they cannot speak up openly. Yes, they uh, some of them do their best to support the community and speak up independently, but they don't have the full possibility. Like there's this uh, about a year or two years ago. Um, when Russia's international crisis became very difficult uh, and the state tried to oppress any free speech, mm-hmm. a number of uh, well-known singers and like rock stars, mm-hmm. uh, Russian rock stars, they um, spoke in criticism to, um, to the occupation of Crimea mm-hmm. and even had concerts in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, for about half a year after that all their concerts were banned like not officially but they just could not organize concerts in Russia despite the fact that they're very well known uh, popular musicians yeah so complicated yeah absolutely well, we're coming to the end of the show. We end. We wrap at two o'clock. Um, someone, I think I took yeah. all your time. Oh, it was um, really great to have you here. Um, appreciate uh, everything you shared. Learned a lot, and I think it's really crucial for folks to have conversations, especially folks who live in other parts of the world, and just to recognize the similarities, especially when it comes from state repression. And even though it might look differently, and there's certain things that I'm grateful to have here. You know, the the freedom to be able to talk about this in an open space. Uh, at the same time, just to see, because I feel like the, also like the, uh, 
the people in positions of power, they learn from each other. They share secrets. Like, the, I mean, Putin and Trump are both pretty reprehensible human beings. Oh, they're best friends, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really crucial that we also recognize that we are in the majority. The people are in the majority, and we have the people power. So, And it's important just to like share, share the knowledge and do what we can to support each other. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, that's true. Um, like, I love building bridges and between the communities here and there. So, like, if anyone wants to find me on Facebook, yeah, I'm here till Sunday, and my schedule is already like kind of busy. But I would love to keep in touch Definitely. and share information um, on LGBTQI discrimination and other issues. Uh, and like, if you want to work together in any meeting, so absolutely welcome. Cool. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for Alex for calling in. Thanks for everyone out there resisting and to everyone out there who is living their authentic life in a world that doesn't make it so easy. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing and speaking your truth. And one day we will live in a world where everyone can be themselves authentically and safely. So on that note, we'll be ending with a, uh, you mentioned Crimea. And then I thought about, there's a clash song that has that as one of their lyrics. And then I thought of like one of my favorite clash songs is uh, know your rights, which I think is a pretty good song. That's timeless. So we'll be ending the show with that song. Thanks again, everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Coming up next is women's magazine with global Val followed by the comments red collective. You're listening to mutiny radio here in the mission district in San Francisco. Have a great week, everybody.